And it's just so wonderful to see uh, you guys coming together, uh, all of us with different personalities, different backgrounds, different experiences, and the love that's here, the brethren that's here, and um, how blessed it is that the brethren dwell together in unity and the love that is here. It's a very special thing. And I pray that we would always uh, be thankful for that and uh, desire to just grow in that area. And um, a lot of people don't have that. They, they don't. Um, they have brothers and sisters in love of Jesus Christ uh, that is there. So uh, we are blessed indeed. So 8, 9.30, and 11 o'clock, right? Okay. I thought it went well Sunday. Did you? All right, I did too. So it was, it's wonderful. I feel like we got a little opportunity to just kind of grow um, in this uh, year at the services. And uh, so keep it in mind, three morning services now at Calvary Chapel Greeley. And uh, we'll finish chapter 17, the prayer of Jesus. And then we'll see that he'll be arrested in the garden. And we'll see Jesus begin to take on the cup of suffering and death. Uh, Job chapter 29, did I tell you that's where we're going to begin? All right, Job chapter 29, that's where we're going to begin tonight. Jerry has some Bibles in his hand in the back. If you need a Bible, we're going to try to cover uh, three chapters here uh, tonight. We'll see how far we get. And there might be, I think, okay, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Jerry will get you one. Job chapter 29. Also, uh, ladies, the ladies conference. Uh, don't forget if you have opportunity to sign up for that. If you haven't done that, please do so. And that, that's going to be a week from this Saturday on the 24th, 9 to 3 o'clock. We're looking forward to it. I think there's around 100 ladies that are signed up uh, for that conference. So really looking forward, ladies, to you guys being blessed. Uh, $10, that's for a catered lunch. And that's coming from Dickie's. Dickie's Barbecue. So we'll treat you well, ladies. So... So it'll be a good lunch, great time of being edified, encouraged in God's word and prayer and worship. And uh, so if you can uh, get out for today, I know that you'll be greatly blessed. So Job chapter 29 is where we should be tonight. Uh, we'll see how far the Lord takes us. As Father, we just desire to take in the word of God. And Lord, as we've seen this very sobering uh, exchange of Job and his friends, uh, we're going to see that Job's going to sum everything up right now. And uh, he's a man that is hurting, a man that is uh, downcast, a man who thinks that perhaps he doesn't have a future. And I pray that tonight, as we study your word, that we would know that you are our hope and our future, and that you do see us, and you love us, and your promises are for us, and our rest comes from you. And so, Lord, touch our hearts very deeply here tonight. And may we leave this place being comforted and edified and encouraged because we are here. We're digging for the treasures of, of God's wisdom tonight and being benefited greatly for it. So, Lord, do the work that you want to do in us and take your word and work it deep within our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So in chapters 26 through 31, what we see here in Job is the longest discourse of Job in this book. He is finished, um, you know, with this conversation with his three friends, Eliphaz, Beldad, and Zophar. They're no longer going to be speaking. And, of course, when they did speak, they pretty much had the accusation against Job that, Job, you must have sinned. You've, you've done some great iniquity for this to happen to you. As Job has gone through tremendous loss, he's lost his children, he's lost his wealth, he's lost his home. He even has been afflicted uh, physically, and he's sitting in an ash heap. And those three friends are coming at him and accusing him of being one that uh, has rebelled against God, and you need to repent, and then God will bless you. And as I read that, uh, I, I think that Job here is he's going to give his final defense here. He's going to talk about how he was one that walked in godly integrity. He's been maintaining that all throughout this book. So uh, Eliphaz, Bildad, so far, you didn't really know Job personally because of the accusations that you are hurling at him. And yet, 
these guys desiring to bring counsel to him, they ended up being miserable counselors, as Job would call them. And so Job here in this last discourse, we ended last week in chapter 28, as he gives this interesting discourse on wisdom. Uh, he, he is saying that you guys haven't really given wisdom. You've just uh, been hot air. Uh, you've been using words that have cut deep and hurt me, but it isn't true wisdom. And in that discourse on wisdom, we, of course, saw that Job would say that that wisdom of God is, is like the, the man who digs deep for treasure. Man digs deep in the ground to get the gold and the silver, the rubies, the sapphires, the crystals, the coral, the quartz. And it's valuable. It's work. It's, it's labor. The wood, hay, and stubble is on the surface. And the wood, hay, and stubble is easy to get to, but it's not valuable. And it will go away. But the gold, the silver, the precious metals, as you bring them up, it will benefit you, and they are valuable. And he likens that to God's wisdom. And I want to remind you that there is a difference between God's wisdom and the world's wisdom that we talked about quite extensively last week. God's wisdom from God's word here is taking God's word and working it in our lives and having it be applied in our lives. It's not just having the knowledge of the word of God. That's important. But having that knowledge in the word touch our hearts and be worked out in our lives, that's what godly wisdom is. And it is very valuable. It is very precious. And, of course, it was Paul when he was talking to Timothy, young Timothy, who was pastoring the church at Ephesus at that time. And when you go through First and Second Timothy, there are numerous times over and over again that Paul exhorts Timothy, continue in the word of God, continue in teaching, continue in my doctrine, continue giving people the truth of God's word. And he would say in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, that you be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I just want again to encourage you that you be that one that's diligent in digging for the treasures of God's word as Colossians chapter 2 tells us that in him, in Christ, is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And there is a difference between the world's wisdom, which is wood, hay, and stubble. It's going to burn up. We as Christians, we need to discern between the wheat and the chaff. And what is God's wisdom and worldly wisdom? And the way to do that is be digging into God's word. So I commend so many of you coming out on Wednesday nights in January to go through the Old Testament and continue to do that. Continue in your own devotions to be digging for the treasures of God's word. And it takes diligence. It takes discipline to be able to do that. We don't want to be lazy in growing in God's word and then asking God to apply it in our lives. And it will benefit us in every area of our lives. And here's the thing. If you truly want to be one that is going to bring comfort to others and counsel to others, these three guys here, they failed in that. Because they were given words of, yes, there was some truth in it, but they were misapplying it. And they didn't know Job, and they didn't have the compassion of God. And so they were not good counselors. But as we grow in God's love and in his word, as we give the word of God to people with compassion and concern and with real discernment, you are going to be a great counselor to others, and you're going to be able to share that treasure that God has given to you, the treasure of God's word, to be able to share it with others and bless them. There's so many voices that are out there. There's so much weirdness that's out there. The world's philosophy changes constantly, and we as Christians, especially in this day, need to grow in God's word. So just, again, to encourage you in that, and now in chapters 29 through 31, what we're going to see here is Job's going to give his final defense. Uh, he's going to, in chapter 29, he's going to talk about how blessed he was in his past relationship with God. Then chapter 30, he's going to lament over his present sufferings. And then in chapter 31, he's going to challenge God to vindicate him and will give these 16 
if I have statements, and we'll see that when we get to that. So in chapter 29, Job further continued his discourse and said, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head, and when by his light I walked through darkness, just as I was in the days of my prime, when the friendly counsel of God was over my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were around me, when my steps were bathed with cream and the rocks poured out rivers of oil over me. You can just sense that as he's, he's remembering his past, uh, he, he wished, you recall in chapter 3, when he began his defense, here he is in the ash heap, you know, in the, uh, the hurting of his life and pain, his three friends, and then Job speaks up after they sit there for seven days, not saying anything. And remember in chapter 3 that Job, when he spoke, he, he began to curse the day that he was born. He said he wished he had never been born. Now as he closes here, he remembers God's blessing in his relationship with God. In our lives, God allows, of course, us to go through difficulties and sorrows. But don't forget that he sends blessings and victories and joy. Charles Spurgeon, the preach, uh, prince of preacher, would say that many people write their blessings on the sand, but most people, they engrave their sorrows on marble. In other words, it seems like we always focus on the sorrow. We, we remember the difficulties and the hard times, but we don't want to forget about the blessings and the victories and the joy that the Lord brings to us in our lives. And in verse 2, it's important to note that he's remembering how God had blessed him in months past. In the days when God watched over me, he, he writes. And then in verse 5, when the Almighty was with me, and he's hurting as he's saying these things, he says, the friendly counsel God was over my tent. Uh, he's desiring that, unlike you guys who have hurt me with your counsel. He talks about when his children were around me. You can know that when he's saying that, he's saying that with great grief and sorrow and pain in his heart. And as he writes these things, as he says these things, uh, he is implying that God isn't watching over him anymore, that the Almighty isn't wanting to give him counsel or be with him anymore. And that's not true. You see, when we go through the difficulties of life, we can feel that way. He is just sharing his heart. He's being honest. He, he's just wondering if there's going to be a future. And so it, it's something that the enemy will try to make us believe the lie that God isn't with us when we're going through trials, that he no longer loves us. He no longer desires to give us counsel. But we need to stand on the truth of God's word, that God is always with us. And he promises that he'll never leave us or forsake us. And he does have a plan, and he does see us and he cares for his children and he desires to show himself strong on our behalf as we cry out to him. So make sure you don't believe the lie of the enemy that will come along and condemn you saying God doesn't love you. He's not with you. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't see your problems. He doesn't hear your prayers. And the enemy will do that over and over again, whispering those things in your mind. And Job is feeling that. Remember, that is the enemy that has accused him. It's the enemy that's trying to get him to curse God. And God here is going to answer Job, as we will see at the end of the book. But the Lord desires to answer you as we open up the Word of God. Again, I think one of the hardest things is, is when we're going through difficulties is to open up the Word of God and just begin to read it. And that's why I encourage you, when you go through sorrow, when you go through difficulties or grief, a good book to go through is the Psalms. Begin to read the Psalms because the psalmist, David, uh, those Asaph who wrote those Psalms will will articulate those things that we can feel in our lives when we're really going through it in such a great degree that I can relate to this. And then they begin to cry out to God and they begin to give glory to God and worship the Lord. And it's a great help to us. So Job here, he's, he's thinking, you know what? Those days are past, um, the days when God watched over me. But we continue in verse 7. When I went out to the gate by the city, when I took my seat in the open square, the young men saw me and hid. And the age arose and stood 
The princess refrained from talking and put their hand on their mouth. The voice of nobles was hushed, and their tongue stuck to the roof of their mouth. Verse 11, when the ear heard, then it blessed me, and when the eye saw, then it approved me, because I delivered the poor who cried out, the fatherless, and the one who had no helper. The blessing of a perishing man came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind. I was feet to the lame. I was father to the poor and I searched out the case that I did not know. I broke the fangs of the wicked and plucked the victim from his teeth. So Job was very much respected as again he's referring to his past here. He sat at the gate of the city. That was a position of honor of leadership. Young men feared me, and the older men, princes, they, they stood, they arose when I came. That's how much they honored me and respected me. They put their hands over, you know, their mouths so they wouldn't speak and interrupt me. So people liked what I had to say. He had a reputation of being a wise man. He helped the poor, as it says here, that he was eyes to the blind, the feet to the lame, the father to the poor. He caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. Now, remember that it was his three friends that accused him of taking you know, advantage of others and not caring about others and only caring about his wealth. And that's why, again, I believe that they didn't really know Job. And here Job is saying, I had this reputation. I had godly integrity, and he's maintained that godly integrity. And that's what he's doing in this final defense here. He is maintaining his integrity. This was my past. And of course, in chapters 1 and 2, you recall that God's assessment of Job was that he was the greatest man in the East. And he wasn't just a great man in the East, according to God, because he had a lot of wealth. It's because he did care about the poor. He, he was a father to, you know, uh, the, uh, the orphan. He, he was a father to the poor. He helped those who were disadvantaged. He cared about people. He had godly wisdom. So here... As he's explaining the kind of man that he had, the godly integrity that he was about. And then I wanted to note verse 2 again, that, oh, that I were, oh, that I were, he says, if I were this way, the blessings of having my children around, the blessings of the counsel of the Lord over my house. And, and I felt so close to the Lord is what he is saying. And then and men respected me and they, they rose up when I came to the gate of the city and I had ministry and I helped people. He wished that he was back in the prime of his life, which of course is understandable, isn't it? And we can do that. We wish things were as they used to be or at least at a time when things were great and things were easy or, or prospering, don't we sometimes feel that way when we're really going through it? Oh, I wish things were like they were last year or five years ago or at this time in my life. But we need to be careful that there is such a focus and a desire for what was in the past that, listen, that we forget that God wants to work now and in the future. We get so focused on the past that we forget that, Lord, you do want to work. You want to work now in my life, and you want to work in the future, glorious and wonderful things. To be reminded that he is our future and our hope. And you see, I think that a lot of us, that we've been through that, that we think, oh, if I could just go back to yesteryear. But we can't go back. We've got to put it under the blood of Jesus. Paul would say, forgetting those things which are behind. Of course, he was talking about his past when he was, you know, a religious man and, and how he counted it all as dung. But he said, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forward to those things which are ahead, I, I press towards the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And the thing that we need to do is keep going forward and to remember that God is our future and hope and wants to work today and he wants to work tomorrow. Glorious and wonderful things for you and for me. We continue in verse 18. Then I said, I shall die in my nest and multiply my days as the sand. 
My root is spread out to the waters, and the dew lies all night on my branch. My glory is fresh within me. My bow is renewed in my hand. So I think we all want to have things planned out and provided for and figured out. I know I do. I like to plan. I like to plan what's going to happen this year, what's going to happen, you know, in, in the next couple years. There's nothing wrong with planning. Man makes the plans, but remember this. God directs the steps, right? That's what the Word of God declares in Proverbs. So we can make the plans. There's nothing wrong with that, but you let God direct your steps because oftentimes, a lot of times, He'll change those plans. He'll change those plans to where it will be better and more glorious. And we need to be open to, Lord, you lead me. Here are my desires. I'm going to pray about it. Here's my plans. And if you want to change that, then you change it. And a lot of us have said, you know, the Lord does that a lot of times in my life. He changes things, and he's done things that we, we never thought that he would take us in that direction. And that's the glorious thing about being a Christian is that we just yield to the Lord. We just follow him. Like the children of Israel, they had the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud, you know, out there in the wilderness. And whenever it rose above the tabernacle and moved, what did they do? They packed up their stuff and they moved. When it went right, they went right. When it went left, they went left. They didn't get ahead of it. They didn't lag too far behind. They were right there. And when the pillar of cloud, the Shekinah glory of God stopped, then they would stop. And we need to be led by the Lord in that way. So here he's talking about that I had planned, you know, and, and had it figured out. And I was going to live to be of a ripe old age and, and have it be smooth sailing and, and figured out. He had such confidence in the future. And he thought that that would always be that way. It would be peaceful. But now he finds himself in this great affliction. And you see, that can happen to us, doesn't it? That all of a sudden things aren't working out the way that we thought. And trials and difficulties come in. And that's where we need God's strength and we need his rest and a peace that passes understanding. So Job's sense of joy in his past, God's blessing in his home, his children around him, God's blessing in relationships, men respected me, God's blessing in his ministry, I was able to, to help out others and be a protector of those who were at disadvantage and his confidence was in the future, but yet he doesn't seem like he has much hope in the future. And then fifthly, as we finish the chapter, verses 21 through 25, men listened to me and waited and kept silence for my counsel. After my words, they did not speak again, and my speech settled on them as dew. They waited for me as for the rain, and they opened their mouth wide as for the spring rain. If I mocked at them, they did not believe it. In the light of my countenance, they did not cast down. I chose the way for them and sat as chief, so I dwelt as a king in the army, as one who comforts mourners. So he was able to speak words of help and encouragement and wisdom. That brought him great joy. He loved being able to minister to others in that way. And my prayer is that we would feel the same way, that we would know that as we give God's counsel to others and wisdom and understanding, as we encourage people in the Lord, that's of great benefit to them. Do we desire to do that? You know, the one that God is really going to use to bring comfort and counsel to others are you guys that are learning God's word. To be able to, to do that in a way that people will be benefited and they will be blessed as you give them God's wisdom. And that's what people need, don't they? We need to give them God's word. We need to give them God's counsel. We need to encourage them in the things of the Lord. So Job here, as he talks about his past, he now is going to return to his painful present. And we read in verse 1 of chapter 30, but now they mock at me. So all of a sudden, he's talking about what's happening now. They respected me at one time, but now they mock at me, men younger than I, whose fathers I disdain to put with the dogs of my flock. Indeed, what profit is the strength of their hands to me? Their vigor has perished. They are gaunt from want and, and famine, fleeing late into the wilderness, desolate and waste, who pluck mallow from the bushes and broom tree roots for their food. They were driven out from among men. They shouted at them as at a uh, as 
at a theft, and they had no uh, life in the cliffs of the valleys and caves in the earth and the rocks. And among the bushes they brayed, and under the nestles they, they nestled, and they were sons of fools, yes, sons of vile men, and they scourged from the land uh, as they were scourged from the land. So after Job remembers again how wonderful it was, how he was respected, now we see the opposite side of the spectrum. He returns and he starts out by saying, now men mock at me. He, he starts out by saying, but now. And as he's saying that, but now, he's remembering his past. Oh, how wonderful relationship I had. I had ministry. I gave counsel to people. I helped people. It was, it was such a wonderful time, but now. But now. And I imagine there's a deep sigh and pain in his voice. Everything has changed. E, you know, even men that were looked down in society, vile men, children of the fools, as he says, they mocked me. At one time, uh, I was respected by men who were great. Now everyone's mocking me because of what I've gone through and the pain that I'm going through and the loss that I've experienced. He continues in verse 9, now I am their taunting song. Yes, I am their byword, and they abhor me. They keep far from me. They do not hesitate to spit in my face because he has loosed my bowstring and afflicted me. They have cast out restraint before me. At my right hand, the rabble, or that is the mob, arises. They push away my feet and they raise against me their ways of destruction. They break up my path. They promote my calamity. They have no helper. They come as brood breakers under the ruinous storm. They roll along. Terrors are turned upon me. They pursue my honor as the wind and my prosperity has passed like a cloud. As Job continues here to list his complaints, he says, I have no respect. I'm their taunting song. That is with mocking and laughing. Now, keep in mind that he's in the ash heap. He's wearing sackcloth. He's in a lot of pain. His three friends join him, but obviously there are others that have come around to listen to this conversation that has been taking place. We don't know exactly how long you know, these, these guys were conversing with Job, but what we're going to see in chapters 32 through 37 is a fourth individual comes along, a young guy. This is a young guy that is a big know-it-all who likes to hear himself talk, and he thinks he's really smart, and he's like, okay, I'm waiting for everybody to be silent. And when Job finishes this discourse, he says, okay, I have something to say. And he goes on for six chapters. And as he goes on for six chapters, he's very wood wordy, we're going to see. And he's going to basically say the same things that the other three said, but only with a different twist. He thinks he's really intelligent in, in saying these things, but he's just got a lot of hot airs, what he has. So we'll see that, but here he, he is saying, you know what, I'm a taunting song. Others had gathered, mocking, laughing. I'm a byword, deep insults and, and again, and they, they spit in my face. Now that's the deepest insult that you can do to somebody is spit on them. And spit in their face. I remember years ago there was a couple that that um, was in my office, and she was so mad at her husband that she was just about ready to spit in his face. So we had to have a timeout, you know, and and you can't do that here. And talk about those things, and and really what ended up coming out is they realized how angry and bitter that they were that they were going down that road to where it had to change and so you know to, to spit on somebody to spit in their face is such the lowest insult that you can do to somebody and here he's saying this is what they did to me you know this is what our Lord went through for you and for me that not only did they mock him and laugh at him you know, they, they insulted him, the Romans, the religious leaders. Hey, he saved others. Why don't you save yourself? Come down from that cross. They spit on him, and they also tortured him. And he did it for you and for me. And I want you to always remember that when you feel like God doesn't love you or doesn't care about you and 
because he went through all of that to prove his love for you. So here is Job feeling so down and, you know, the lowest in society are doing this to me. He feels like everything has crashed in on him. So not only is he experiencing deep grief and, grief and sorrow from the losses that he's gone through, but the way that he's been treated, you know, that had to be so heavy on him. He, he continues in verse 16, that, and now my soul is poured out because of my plight. The days of affliction take hold of me. My bones are pierced in me at night. He has spoken about his bones. He'll continue to do that. He was in such pain that not only his bones ache, but with agony of what people were doing to him, the trials that he was going through. Have you ever been through such you know, difficulties that your bones actually ached? I think some of you have experienced that, and that's what he was doing. And my gnawing pains take no rest. In verse 18, by great force my garment is disfigured. It blinds me, uh, binds me, that is, about at the collar of my coat. He has cast me into the mire, and I have become like dust and ashes. I cry out to you, but you do not answer me. I stand up, and you, you regard me, but you have become cruel to me. With the strength of your hand, you oppose me. You lift me up to the wind and cause me to ride on it. You spoil my success, for I know that you will bring me to death and to the house appointed for all living. And so not only do I have no respect, I have no blessing, second of all. My life is pain and misery. And again, the conclusion as you read this in verse 20 is that God is against him. I cry out to you, but you don't answer me. You've become cruel to me. And he has been saying that. He feels like that, that God has been firing you know, arrows. He's a target for the Lord. Why should I pray? Why should I give myself to the Lord? We're going to see that Elihu is going to really rebuke Job for feeling that way. But again, Job, he's confused. He doesn't understand why this is happening to him. And he's just being honest with the feelings that he has in his heart. He feels hopeless in his current situation. And then in verse 24, surely he would not stretch out his hands against a heap of ruins if they cry out when he destroys it. Have I not wept for him who was in trouble? Has not my soul grieved for the poor? So not only I have no respect, and second of all, I have no blessing, but thirdly, there is no hope. I have been faithful in helping others in need, but now nobody will help me. They won't look at me and weep. They're treating me like a leper. I have no respect. I have no blessing. I have no help. And then in verses 26 through 28, but when I looked for good, evil came to me. And when I waited for light, then came darkness. My heart is in turmoil and cannot rest. Days of affliction confront me. I go about mourning and not in the sun. I stand up in the assembly and cry out for help. Not only is there no help, but there is no rest. I have no rest. I think one of the challenges that we can go through when we're going through difficulties or suffering or grief or sorrow is that we can trust in the Lord. And even Job, you know, in all this pain that he's expressing, that these statements of faith have come out. And he has said that, though the Lord slay me, I will trust in him. When I come through this, I'll come through this, refine this gold. So he hasn't lost his faith. He, he is expressing frustration and confusion. He knows the greatness of God. He hasn't denied that. He doesn't know about the goodness of God. And we know that as he's expressing this, he says, I have no rest in, in here. I, 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 um, my heart is in turmoil and cannot rest. Days of affliction confront me. Some of you know how that feels when your heart is just in turmoil day after day after day after day and you have no rest. We say, I'm trusting the Lord, but here's something that's not happening. We're not resting in the Lord. And you see, the Lord not only wants you to trust in him, he wants you to rest in him. Remember Jesus up on that hillside in Galilee in Matthew's gospel and chapter 11, that he cried out to the multitude. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
And there may be some of you that are here tonight that, that you have labored and you're heavy laden and you're trusting God. You're saying, I'm going to trust him, but you're not resting in him. And that can be the hard part. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, being yoked to the world is very, very difficult. And the world's burdens are very, very heavy. And the Lord desires for us who are feeling it, the labor and the heaviness, and who are weary of heart and hurt of heart, to go to him to find rest. He desires to give us rest. And if we don't go to the one who can give us true rest, we will be restless. And we'll be overwhelmed with that sense of affliction has come to me day after day and overwhelmed my heart. And that's why it's important that we be still before the Lord and remember his promises and not only trusting in him, but being yoked to him and learning of him. He loves us and standing on that love. And sometimes that's all we can do is I've just got to stand on your love, Lord. And I've got to find rest. And you're the only one that can give me that rest in my heart and in my soul. So I have no respect. I have no blessing. There is no hope. Uh, there's no help. I have no rest. And then I have no comfort Verses 29 through 31. I am a brother of jackals and a companion of ostriches. My skin grows black and, and falls from me. My bones burn with fever. He's really hurting. My harp uh, is turned to mourning and my flute to voice of those who weep. So not only is he hurting physically, but he's hurting in his heart. He's hurting in his soul. He has no comfort and he's looking for that comfort. And then chapter 31, this final defense of Job includes this solemn oath of innocence. He, he looked to his past. He, he just got through explaining his present situation. Now he looks to the future, chapter 31, very quickly. And I have made a covenant with my eyes. And why then should I look upon a young woman? For what is the allotment of God from above and the inheritance of the Almighty from on high? Is it not destruction for the wicked and disaster for the workers of iniquity? Does he not see my ways and count all my steps? So Job begins to proclaim his innocence. Nothing is hidden from you, Lord. You know all my steps. You know that I haven't looked upon things that I shouldn't. Job had that godly integrity. And all of us can learn from that. David, he would make that, that covenant with the Lord in the Psalms. He would say, I desire not to look at anything that is ungodly. But what happened to David? 2 Samuel chapter 11. He would look and he would see Bathsheba. It does matter what it is that we look at and take into our minds. And we need to be careful what it is that we're looking upon and gazing at and studying. The scripture says that we're to behold the Lord, Christ, to look at him and study him. That we need to make a covenant with our eyes, men and women, that we're not looking at things that cause us to sin and stumble and to carnal out. And there's so much around us. We need to protect ourselves. We need to be like Daniel who purposed in his heart not to defile himself. And as Peter wrote in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, don't conform yourselves to the former lust, but he who called you is holy, so you be holy. We have been called to holiness and purity in our lives. So may we be ones that say, Lord, I want to make a covenant not to set my eyes on those things that are caused me to sin. And if there are things that are there, get rid of it. Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, then cut it off. He's not talking about mutilating your body. He's talking about deal with it radically. If your eye causes you to sin, then pluck it out. Whatever is causing you to sin that's in your home, then get rid of it. Get rid of it. I don't care if it's a big screen TV or an expensive computer. Get rid of it because it will do you in and wipe you out. We need to be careful, especially in these days, men and ladies. Because I talk to many 
that have been poisoned by the things that they're looking at and pulling up. And lives are destroyed and marriages and relationships are destroyed because of that. It is bad news. And it's poisoning the church. And it's all around us. So we've got to be careful. And we've got to deal with those things. So here Job is saying, I haven't done that. I'm proclaiming my innocence here. And then in verse 5, if I have walked with falsehood or if my foot has hastened to deceit, let me be weighed on honest scales that God may know my integrity. If my step has turned from my way or my heart walked after my eyes or if any spot adheres to my hands, then let me sow and another eat. Yes, let my harvest be rooted out. I haven't been deceitful. I've been honest in my business dealings. He had that godly integrity. Of course, when you go through the book of Proverbs, we will later on this year. We're going to see that Proverbs has a lot to say about honest scales and, 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 and having honest scales and dealing with others in an honest way. As Christian men and women that are doing business with others, we should do it with great honesty and integrity. We should be the greatest example of that. So here... Job is saying, I was that way. And then verse 9, if my heart has been enticed by a woman or if I've lurked at my neighbor's door and let my wife grind for another and let others bow down over her, for what? For that would be wickedness. Yes, it would be iniquity deserving of judgment. For that would be a fire that consumes to destruction and would root out all my increase. I'm innocent of adultery. And of course, Jesus, the, he would give the, the true and, and, and high standard of, in the Sermon on the Mount, that if you look at another with lust, you committed adultery. That if you hate your brother in your heart, you're, you're angry at him, then you've committed murder. It's a heart issue. And here Job is saying, I haven't been deceitful. I'm innocent of adultery. Verse 13, if I despise the, uh, the cause of my male or female servants when they complain against me, uh, what then shall I do when God rises up? When he punishes, how shall I answer him? Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one fashion us in the womb? He treated his servants well. He respected them. He treated them right. And again, any of us that are supervisors or um, over somebody in, in a business or owns a business, to treat those who work for us with, again, the way that God would want us to treat them. And, and Colossians talks a lot about that, that, you know, that you who are masters, that you need to respect and treat those servants well. That would be equivalent to employers, you know, and treat your employees right. Or if you're supervising over others, that you do it in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. And Job knew that he was created by the same God as them and treated them. He had lots of servants, and he treated them well. And then verse 16, if I kept the door from uh, their desire, caused the eyes of the widow to fail, um, or eat my morsel by myself so that the fatherless could not eat of it, but my youth, I reared him as a father, and from my mother's womb I guided the widow. Verse 19, if I've seen anyone perish for lack of clothing or any poor man without covering, if his heart has not been blessed me, if he was not warm with the fleece of my sheep, if I've raised my hand against the fatherless when I saw and I had help in the gate, then let my arm fall from my shoulders and my arm be torn from the socket for destruction from God is a terror to me and because of his magnificence I cannot endure. He did not mistreat the poor. He did not mistreat the widow, the fatherless. He, he had given those in need. He had come to their aids. Now keep in mind, Job is not boasting in himself, all right? He has taken an oath. He's defending himself and desire to be vindicated before God. If I haven't done these things, if I haven't helped them, like I said, may my arms fall off. This was a very serious thing that he was saying. And in verse 24, if I've made gold my hope or said to find gold, you are my confidence. If I have rejoiced because my wealth was great and because my hand had gained much. Uh, if I observed the sun when it shines or the moon moving in brightness, I didn't worship the sun, the moon, 
so that my heart has been secretly enticed and my mouth has kissed my hand. This also would be iniquity deserving of judgment, for I would have denied God who is from above. Uh, I, I didn't let wealth control my life, and that's what he was accused of by Eliphaz, uh, that he worshiped gold in chapter 22. I, d- I didn't worship wealth. I didn't put my confidence in wealth. He had the proper perspective, and you and I need to have the proper perspective. It's not a sin to be rich or have money or be blessed, you know, abundantly by the Lord. Paul would say that it's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. It's when that money is your love, your priority. Instead of you managing the money and being a good steward of it, the money is managing you. There's a big difference. Job says, I didn't let that wealth, you know, keep me from helping others. I didn't worship it. Uh, I didn't have it be a priority. In verse 30 or 29, if I haven't rejoiced at the destruction of him who hated me or lift myself up when evil found him, Indeed, I have not allowed my mouth to sin by asking for a curse on his soul. Uh, He even treated those that were his enemies, those he didn't like right. And that's the way you and I are to do. That we're to be caring towards those who perhaps we say, I don't like them, they get under my skin, they're my enemy. He said, I treated them right. I opened the doors, you know. I, he was one that would help them. He didn't say a curse on them. Oh, God, get them. They just make me sick. He treated them right. He would say, if men in my tent have not said, verse 31, is there that has not been satisfied with his meat, that no sojourner had to lodge in the street, he gave him a place to stay. For I have opened my doors to the traveler. I have covered my transgressions, uh, if I have covered my transgression as Adam, by holding my iniquity in my bosom, because I feared the great multitude and dreaded the contempt of families, so that I kept silence and did not go out uh, of the door. Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here is my mark. Oh, that the Almighty would answer me, that my prosecutor had written a book. Surely I would carry it on my shoulder and bind it on me like a crown. I would declare to him the number of my steps like a prince I would approach him. If my land cries out against me and its furrows weep together, if I've eaten its fruit without money or caused its owners to lose their lives, then let thistles grow instead of wheat and weeds instead of barley. So Job makes this final appeal to be heard by God. Oh, that the Almighty would hear me. Oh, that my prosecutor had written a book. He felt like God was his accuser when in reality, as I said, it was Satan that was. So if I have, if I have, he said, if I failed in these things to be upright in what I said that I was like, then let God uproot my crops, verse 8. My arms fall off me, verse 22. Let the harvest be weeds and thistles, verse 40. I'll face the judgment of God. But he wants to hear from the Lord, and the Lord's going to answer him when we continue through this. But he is hurting right now and doesn't understand. One of the things that we can understand going through the book of Job is that as you are hurting and wondering and confused about things, then know this, that God is near you, he loves you, and he has a plan, and he desires to work in your heart. Whatever it is that he's doing to grow you in your faith and refine you like gold, to to make you stronger in the Lord, to bring you up and build you up, and he is your future and your hope. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time in your word, and and Lord, I, I just pray that Again, that we would be ones that we would be encouraged that you do see us and you love us. And, Lord, that you have a future for us. And so, Father, I pray for us here tonight in this place. I thank you that we can learn from your word, that we can come to you when we're weary and heavy laden. We can come to you, first of all, for that salvation that we all need. As Jesus, he was spat on and mocked and tortured. His skin was ripped off by that Roman 
you know, flagellum, that cat of nine tails that went on his back because of his love for us. And Father, I pray if there is anyone here in this building or listening on live stream that you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ, that salvation comes by him alone, faith in him. Jesus proved his love for you that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the sins that we have committed have separated us from God. All of us are sinners, the Bible says. But Jesus came and he went and was afflicted for you that you might live and have forgiveness of sin so you won't be alone, that you won't be forsaken, that you'll be forgiven. Will you turn to Jesus? He loves you. Jesus said that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that is you. All of us are in that category of whosoever. And if you've never made that decision, we want to give you the opportunity tonight to do that. Right where you're sitting. And then come up after service and tell us the decision. Tell me and and, and, or call if you're calling from or watching from live stream that you made a decision for Christ tonight. But you pray that prayer of faith because faith is what saves us. Faith alone in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for your sins and that he rose from the grave three days later. The Bible says repent. Quit going in the direction you're going. Turn away from the world and from sin and turn to Jesus and surrender your life to him. And you pray, Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. I confess that I am a sinner. I ask that you forgive me. I believe you died on Calvary's cross for my sins. And I believe that you're alive. You resurrected from the grave. Because you're alive in my heart right now as I open up my heart for you to, to be the Lord of my life and to sit upon the throne of my heart. And Lord, thank you for forgiving me and for the cross. And help me to live for you, to rest in your love. Thank you for being my future and my hope and my salvation. And for all of us, Lord, for anyone who needs special comfort and rest from you, that they would find it in you as they go to you and learn of you and cry out to you because you are near. And Lord, help us to comfort others that need that comfort by giving them your words of love and truth. And Father, I pray that we would have discernment and wisdom and compassion Father, we thank you for tonight. I pray that you just bless your people, bless us the rest of this week. Bring us back here safely on Sunday morning as we gather as a family once again. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, amen. God is good, isn't he? Would you please stand? Again, if you need any prayer for anything, I'm up here to just hang out to pray with you and to bless you and encourage you in the Lord. 8, 9, 30, 11 o'clock on Sunday. We'll finish Jesus' prayer in chapter 17. Ladies, don't forget, if you haven't signed up for the ladies' conference, so do so because Sunday we're going to wrap it up, all right?